Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Eight minutes after the hour, I am pleased to tell you that we are joined by Garson from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri, one of my favorite gun stores. Uh, they are the Reloading Authority. Garson, welcome. How are you? I am well. How are you doing this morning? I, too, am well. Dale Roberts on board from the CPOA. Hey, Dale. Good morning, sir. We are going to uh, really stress your legal brain here. Won't take much. <laughs> no, I, th I think it'll be a challenge. And, of course, Scott Van Kirk on board, former uh, law enforcement and uh, firearms trainer. Hey, Scott, how's it going, buddy? Good morning. Uh, real good. Thanks, Gary. Good. All right. We've all seen the George Floyd videos, and I assume that we agree, based on those videos, that it looks bad for Officer Chauvin and the other police officers who were there. Uh, any Anybody disagree with that? Okay. I, I agree uh, it looks bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I would agree with that as well, but also I'll tell you that any law enforcement use of force always looks bad. Yeah. Well, after watching it, most of the country came away thinking these guys deserve whatever comes their way, whatever it takes. And so they were in, uh, Chauvin was initially charged with uh, third-degree murder. Then they uh, decided that wasn't enough punishment, so they made it second-degree murder. That means um, intentionally inflicting bodily harm. Now we hear the police body cams uh, video has been made available. And I'm not sure if we didn't jump to the wrong conclusion. What do you think would happen if Chauvin and the others were found not guilty of murder? Just off the top of your head, Garson, what do you think might happen if they go to court, try them for third-degree murder, and come away with bupkis? What do, you, what do you think the response would be in the, in the uh, general public? Oh, I'm thinking Rodney King-style riots again. Yeah. Wait, I, 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 go I, ahead. I think, I think Garson's right, and when he says, you know, he referenced Rodney King-style ones, he's referring to the, you know, the L.A. riots, but I think what you're going to do is you're going to see L.A. riots, which you're going to see them nationwide. Yeah, I think it's going to get incredibly, incredibly ugly. But I think the defense might be able to make the case. So now we'll use... Uh, well, I, Gary, can I jump in just from a, a regional reference as it relates to Minneapolis well, and their defense attorneys? Well, let me just, let me just wrap this part of it up. Um, understanding that the jurors don't have to find that these, these officers didn't do the crime... They just have to have reasonable doubt. They have to walk away from that courtroom and sit down in the uh, in in that back room and say, "Well, I'm not sure." That's all it takes for these guys to get off the hook. Now, what were you going to say? Well, I'm, I'm, and it's it's not really too tangential to tell you that um, I'm from that region of the country. Um, I was a cop not too many miles across the border into Wisconsin, and I will tell you that Minneapolis. Um, Minnesota has some of the best criminal defense attorneys in the Midwest. When all of this happened and I started to look at who the officers involved were retaining for counsel, um, none of this comes as a surprise as a potential that this case is falling apart. You had Keith Ellison overcharge. You had Ellison charged second degree, but he's not basing second degree on the fact that there was intent. He's basing second degree on the felony murder statute, which means that the officers were engaged in another, in another felony that resulted in the 
uh, resulted in George Floyd's death, meaning that their their, uh, use of force against him was illegal felony assault, which means that if uh, someone dies during the commission of a felony, now you're now guilty of what's known as felony murder or second-degree murder. So it's not that there's so much, and this one gets missed in the press all the time, it's not so much that Ellison, that's the attorney general in Minnesota, is charging them with the intention to kill George Floyd. No, what they're saying is is that their use of force against him was felony assault resulting in his death. Well, the attorneys have come up with some interesting observations based on toxicology and autopsy reports. And they're saying not only did Chauvin uh, not kill this uh, George Floyd, but the other guys didn't either. In fact, the guy who killed George Floyd, they're going to argue, is George Floyd. Oh, absolutely. And again, like I said, the best quality uh, defense attorneys in the Midwest come out of Minneapolis. And it's, I mean, I don't know any of them personally. I I do know a couple of people that have used them in the past. Um, The... Their, their contention is is they're true believers in the criminal defense system. That's why you see them. They, I, I have no doubt that they've probably defended um, suspects against some of these very cops in other criminal matters, and now they're going to defend these cops because they're true believers in that everyone is entitled to um, a defense in court. And they're, it's going to be ugly, um, but not in the manner in which I think the the political left and Ellison and some of them think that's going to be. These defense attorneys really realistically will probably mop the floor with the prosecution. Well, it's entirely possible if they can find an unbiased jury. That's going to be a challenge. Anyway, we will give you the uh, details of their defense for the police officers. Uh, we'll find out what uh, the legal uh, brain here on the staff, Dale Roberts, thinks of it. We'll find out what um, what you think as well. You're listening to Gary on Guns. Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It's 19 minutes after the hour. Garson is in from Graffs. And by the way, Garson, hopefully you haven't placed any firearms in front of Scott Van Kirk uh, because we will have to reassemble them before we get to that part of the program. He doesn't have any tools with him, so he can't take them apart yet. Yeah, but he's he's playing with it. I can hear it. That's he, he is the, doing uh, that. Yeah. I don't have any tools in the st- studio that was, the, <laughs> that was the mating call for scott van kirk that you just heard <laughs> got my wait have i got my swiss army knife yeah, look out. <laughs> he, he, gary he definitely has his hands on them so he's, yeah it's over he, he's fondling them uh that is the voice of uh, dale roberts of course has uh, got his former law enforcement deal with the cpoa we're talking about the george floyd case the defense may have come up with a unique uh, way to protect these police officers, uh, according to uh, their toxicology and autopsy reports, they believe that uh, George Floyd had a potentially fatal dose of fentanyl in his system. Body cameras reveal that he was complaining he can't breathe before they put him on the ground. At least six times he said that. Um, it, Dale... You're a former uh, a judge. You're a, an attorney. Does that let them off the hook? He was. He was. He may have had a potentially fatal dose of fentanyl, and he was complaining he couldn't breathe long before they had a, a, a knee on his neck. 
I don't know if I'd say it lets them off the hook, and, and this is my opinion, you know, not necessarily that of the CPOA association, you know, the association, but, you know, several things that go into it, and Scott addressed some of it. Uh, you know, for example, the video at the outset shows them trying to place him in the back seat of a patrol car, and he's struggling mightily with them. And, you know, when a suspect continues to struggle, you try to find ways to, to uh, get them under control. And, you know, one possibility is put them on the ground where you can, can, you know, they're against something solid. You don't have to fight to try and get them into the car. So they may have a, an argument as to why they gave up on trying to get him in the back seat, put him in the car. And then the additional argument, which is, I think, uh, should be very helpful, is the, the amount of fentanyl. And I think there were other drugs in his system at the time that would have been contributive factors or contributory factors to his respiratory distress and his final uh, demise. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to get reasonable doubt from a jury, I think they can certainly get that. It's, as the guys said previously, uh, you know, it's all going to break loose. If he is not convicted, people are going to be unhappy is an understatement nationwide. And, uh, you know, in some cases, don't confuse me with facts. My mind is already made up. The, he's been tried in a court of public opinion. Um, Scott may be able to chime in more on that. Well, we know that, you know, they're, they're still running around saying, hands up, don't shoot, even though we know that never happened in Ferguson. Exactly. Uh, and they're repeating it as though it's fact. Uh, he also had significant coronary heart disease uh, in addition to the drugs. And they asked him if he was on drugs. And he said he had been hooping. I'd never heard of that term, but apparently that indicates that he was using some <clears throat> some drugs. You'll recall I said that uh, second degree uh, in uh, Minnesota is intentionally inflicting bodily harm. Uh, if that was their intention, Scott, you know... Um, Again, Gary, on, on the second degree, it, I don't believe that the prosecution is going to attempt to... In, attempt to um, prove that it's it's an actual straight up second degree intent. What they're going to try to prove is is that the officer's use of force was felony assault. And any time in nearly every, I think every state in the union, and Dale might know this better than I do, when someone dies during the commission of a felony, and felony assault is what the officers they're going to try and convict on that. And then the the circumstance being that someone died, that becomes felony murder. If you go in to rob a bank, me and Garson go rob a bank, and Garson ends up getting shot by the security guard and dies as his co-conspirator, as his accomplice, I'm on the hook for his death. It's the same. That's the same. Uh, the same case that they're trying to make in regards to these cops. Everyone's getting hung up that it has to be intent. Has to be intent. Has to be intent. Forget the intended issue with the second degree. It's the felony murder statute which falls under second degree. Well, according to uh, the uh, attorneys uh, and and uh, the report that I'm reading, um, that's part of the description that, here. That's part uh, of the description for second for second degree murder in Minnesota. But if you read further down, you'll find that second degree murder also. Um, is where their felony murder statute is addressed. And when I say felony murder statute, it just means that someone died during the commission of a felony. Well, 
if they, if it, it, to put the eliminate to try to eliminate that aspect of it, the, the attorneys are saying uh, that he was uh, initially um, injured when they tried to put him in the car, and he was bleeding from his mouth. They called an ambulance. If they called an ambulance. Uh, why would they in turn want to kill him? Uh, oh, they're gonna, so they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, um, they're gonna hit the prosecution from every possible point that the prosecution may bring up during the during the case because that's what you do when you're a good defense attorney and they're going to bring up the fentanyl and they're going to have experts testify on on what a fentanyl overdose does to the human body they're going to have doctors testify to his underlying medical conditions they're going to bring up uh use of force trainers maybe going all the way back to these officers academy days that are actually going to address in probability that the force and manner in which they held him to the ground up to and including um, the quote-unquote kneeling on his neck, or which actually I think was carotid rather than um, an actual choke, uh, is probably taught and probably approved by the Minneapolis Police Department. They're, they're going to they're gonna hit him from all sides. And like Dale said, it's, it's just a, it's reasonable, or you said reasonable doubt. And I'm not saying that these guys are going to get... Um, uh, they're not going to get off. I don't think you're going to find 12 jurors that are going to vote not guilty, but I think you're going to get a hung jury. Well, that leads to uh, another aspect of this, uh, and, and that is where in the United States could you possibly find a, uh, a jury, a, 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 a potential juror who hasn't made up their mind already? Uh, it, what, what do you do in that case, Dale? Well, you know, there are two pieces to that puzzle. I mean, on, on the one hand, I am shocked at the people I speak to, people whom I consider to be reasonably intelligent. And I'll mention a high-profile criminal case from here in Boone County that happened two weeks ago, and they'll say, I, I never heard about that. So, you know, people, there are a lot of people who don't follow the news, but at the same time, um, if somebody gets pulled, if you get called in for jury duty, you know, once you hear what it is, you're going to hear from your fellow, you know, from the people in the jury pool, all, si all sorts of stories. And even if you haven't heard, you know, plenty of facts about the George Floyd case, you have quite probably heard plenty of news about police uh, you know, police, alleged police misconduct, police use of force. It's in, in that term, you know, it, you're right. It's going to be, it would be very difficult, I think, to find 12 jurors who go to this with a blank slate. Well, and I, I think when it comes to jury selection, which is uh, both an art and a science, if I'm not mistaken, um, one of the key factors on here, and I don't think it's it's uh, it's been addressed because we're nowhere near jury selection. But I think the potential is is that I don't I don't believe that they're going to get a change of venue, as in that they're going to be outside the Minneapolis metro. But they may bring in jurors from outside the area and outstate, which is what they call it up there, outstate <laughs> Minnesota, um, which is essentially everything that isn't Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, Hennepin, and Ramsey counties. It's out of outstate. Um, if you bring people from outstate Minnesota in on that juror, just a couple, you have the real potential for people who either have a differing opinion in regards to the events or less of a strong feeling that they're going in that they're absolutely guilty. Um, you've seen, 
and I don't want to talk presidential politics because I'm exhausted of them, but um, you have noticed in recent weeks or recent days during the Democratic Convention, Trump has been traveling through Wisconsin and Minnesota, both states that he hopes to swing on the rural vote. So don't, don't, out, don't count out outstate Minnesota. And that's, I'm really glad Scott brought that up, that, you know, people assume, for example, Illinois, you know, people think Illinois is anti-gun, and in Illinois, I think the tail wags the dog. Chicago area is pretty anti-Second Amendment, and I've spoken to law enforcement folks from the rest of Illinois, and they tell me, that's not the way we feel at all. You know, we're, we're hunters, we're gun owners. So you get out state, you know, get people, get away from Columbia, St. Louis, and Kansas City to the rest of Missouri. Same thing. It's almost like a different state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad to hear Scott bring that up because he's right. You know, bringing jurors, the local attorneys will know that and push to bring in a jury from elsewhere in the state. And uh, that may change the equation significantly. I know that if if I were the defense, I would definitely want to find somebody outside of that city for a, a juror. Oh, sure. Although, uh, although potentially um, what you see in the news is not all of Minneapolis, St. Paul, Ramsey, and Hennepin County. There are plenty of other folks um, that are reasonable folks that are seeing their city burned to the ground that... It also could easily land on the uh, land on the jury pool. So, and, and by the way, as we're going through this, understand that uh, they're going to bring in experts. They're going to have uh, counter experts, and we're not included in that. We're not going to see that. Uh, so, it, it's really going to be uh, difficult to make up our minds based on what we've seen or read so far. But it at least appears on the outside as though they've got a reasonable defense that could actually lead to, uh, you know, reasonable doubt. Uh, and, you know, Garson, they included in their case, their defense, uh, the Minneapolis police training material on how to deal with an uncooperative suspect in handcuffs, a restraint position illustrated in a photograph that closely resembles the method used by the police. It's going to be very interesting. All right, uh, we'll come back. We'll, we'll kind of wrap up on this. You're listening to the Gary on Gun Show on Hot Talk 93.90. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. And uh, Scott Van Kirk, a former law enforcement and uh, trainer, is on board with us this morning, as is Dale Roberts from the CPOA. Garson is in from Graf. So, Garson, you've kind of been sitting back listening to all this. Do you think it, it raises reasonable doubt in your mind? Oh, yeah, easily. Um, it's... Um, it's a big wedge that they can use to drive in there to shut this case down. Boy, I, I, I actually wonder, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn this over to Dale, and then we'll wrap it up. Is it possible that they might find these police officers guilty, even if there is reasonable doubt, just to pre- uh, prevent the, the hue and cry that, that will uh, result in a not guilty uh, decision? That's a frightening thought, but yeah. but um, anything is, you know, the jury system is good, but it certainly has its faults, and that is absolutely possible. And, and you know, before we leave it, I was going to ask you, uh, what do you think, do you think they'll televise this trial? If it goes to trial, do you think there's going to be wall-to-wall coverage? 
You know, I would love to watch it. I dearly would love to watch this. Uh, but my fear is that there will be grandstanding, like the O.J. case. Oh, sure. And uh, that that won't be uh, that won't be helpful for the defendants. I'll, I'll give you Isn't a, that already kind of happening. A little bit. I'll give you a better answer than that, Dale. Who will decide whether it's televised or not? Judge. Is whether no? Well, ultimately, that's who who rubber stamps it. But who will decide whether it's televised is what the activist community wants. If they want it televised, I guarantee it'll be televised. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and Gary, the other thing I was going to get back to before we leave it, because I know we have to leave it, early on in this section, you you sort of questioned, said something about hooping. And in terms of Floyd, George Floyd being winded, I'll tell you, it's been a while, but the last time I used a hula hoop, I was winded. I was so. Say. You guys, the old guys, seriously, will be talking about that reefer madness. <laughs> yeah, I Scott thought Van Kirk was hula hooping. I, go figure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Scott Van Kirk got stuck in his. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on. And, and uh, again, Scott is not going to be happy with this, but we're going to talk a little politics here. Joe Biden uh, uh, on Smoking his Joe. website uh, says uh, on his campaign <laughs> website uh, that. Uh, Gun violence is a public health epidemic. The Biden plan to end our, gu end our gun violence epidemic. This year's Democratic platform uh, likewise talks about ending the epidemic of gun violence. Um, I don't so he's going to get tough on crime? Oh, no, 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 no. 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 He's going to get tough on guns. <laughs> oh, oh, but that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, if you want to end bank robberies, uh, I guess you get rid of Banks. banks. Get rid of banks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. banks. Yeah, close them down. Uh, fat people, get rid of their forks. All right. Uh, according to the FBI's numbers, total homicides in the United States fell from 24,700 in 1991. Gee, how dangerous were we? <laughs> uh, to a low of 14,164 in 2014. That's a 43% drop. The homicide rate fell even more dramatically from 9.8 per 100,000 in 1991 to 4.4 uh, per 100,000 in 2014, a 55% drop. Homicides rose in 20, uh, 2015 and 16, then fell again in 2017 and 18, when the rate was uh, 5 per 100,000, uh, up 14% from 2014. The FBI hasn't uh, published final data for 2019 yet, uh, but preliminary numbers for the first half of the year indicate that homicides fell by 7.4%. It's not exactly what I would call um, uh, an epidemic of of, uh, of murders. You know, nobody wants to see anybody die. But I think the American public is by and large convinced that, and, and it, it clearly must be, or the Democrats wouldn't be making this such a, a potent part of their uh, campaigns, that it is truly an epidemic. Uh, how do they come to that conclusion? Anybody have any ideas? I'll start with Garson. How is it that these people in this country might believe that there is an epidemic of gun violence? Well, I mean, I, the news is constantly <laughs> saying that, you know, every school shooting is just another day away and and they have no plans or ability to protect these children except for to take guns away from everybody. Um, I mean, the, the narrative they use to to 
put fear into people's hearts um, sticks there longer than the truth, apparently. Um, it just takes hold, and, and people that aren't engaged in this every day um, go along with that mantra. You know, what's interesting is a study that was done by John Lott indicating that almost all of the murders in this country, uh, at least a huge majority of them, happen in just a handful of counties in the country. And inside those counties, inside just a handful of blocks, uh, it seems to be concentrated uh, in the inner city. So, well, it may sound initially as though, uh, you know, everybody is shooting everybody all over the country. It's just in a, a, a few localized places. Uh, Scott, any uh, any uh, insight into this? Um, well, I mean, that's, and, and it's good for John to point that out. That's kind of been the case for forever and a day as it relates to, um, to violent crime, so to speak. And most of it related to gang violence and, and the, um, the inter- drug wars and I don't, when I say drug war I don't mean the one that the US government um <laughs> is fighting I mean the ones between different individuals who are selling drugs um it's when we talk about the disease thing and why that's on the democratic platform that one's been around forever in a day because ultimately the goal or one of the many goals or one of the many approaches that they're going to use um, on the gun control front is is this is a this is a national epidemic this is this is like uh, childhood obesity or um, uh, you know some other uh, actual disease like Ebola or you know HIV or whatever the case may be if we can get it if we can label it as a disease then we can bring the full force of the federal government in to fight it from so many different fronts look at the CDC argument that we've been having for how many years where they present the they present the the lie and it is a lie it's not even a misstatement that uh, you know the CDC has been banned by the, the evil gun lobby um, from doing any research into gun violence and they keep trying to get that mandate lifted well the mandate doesn't exist you know the mandate is is that the cdc is not to do any um research with a political end meaning that they don't set out to try and prove something purely for purely to prove a political point um so it doesn't surprise me it's just another just another new front um, I don't know how we address it. Dale likes the politics. He might have some ideas in regards to that because they open up a new front and then we try to defend it. And they open up a new front and we try and defend it. And they open up a new front and we try and defend it. We have not really done much on offense for quite some time. Well, the, uh, the Washington Post, uh, Philip Bump noted, uh, most Americans are not aware of the dramatic decline in gun homicides. In 2019, a Maris poll found 59% of respondents believed that the per capita gun murder rate in the United States was higher than it was 25 years earlier. 23% thought it was about the same. Only 12% knew that the rate had fallen, and 6% weren't sure. Um, we're, we're not being very effective in, in uh, making our case then, are we, Dale? Not at all, and it and it gets back to something you said, boy, months ago when I was on the show, that um, our side of the argument has not done a very good job of getting the information out there. And you know, we have John Lott and one or two other people who who do tremendous uh, research 
but we don't have many spokespersons to really keep the you know accurate information in the public eye and you know if you tell a lie often enough people believe it it becomes truth you just keep saying it over and over again and people accept it and that's what has happened with the argument on gun deaths and i you know what i said earlier about i'm surprised when people don't know the news and that was probably unfair i'm focused on the news because of my job and so i'm really aware of gun violence in columbia because you know my folks deal with it every day but but that's again a fraction of you know nationally it's a fraction of what it used to be so it's easy locally our news media covers uh, gun offenses to the extreme and anytime there are shots fired the media refers to it as a shooting which makes it sounds as if someone in law enforcement a shooting is when someone was shot exactly shots fired is just someone celebrating the fourth of july it's a gunfight if someone shoots back so, so <laughs> all right. Well, listen. Wrap that point up because I got to go to break. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. You know, in the media, we constantly hear about shootings as if people are getting shot every day, when in fact it's just somebody celebrating the Fourth of July or a wedding. You know, whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll ask Garson to to explain why that's not such a good idea in the next segment. Also, we'll talk about uh, New Jersey Attorney General uh, lost a court fight over three D printed guns. We'll kick that around. We'll find out what Garson brought in from graphs that you may want to run down there and buy. You're listening to Gary on Guns. Hot Talk, 93.9 The Eagle. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. It is 51 minutes after the hour. Garson is in from graphs in Mexico, Missouri. Definitely worth the ride down there. He's brought in a couple of firearms. We'll go over those uh, right after the news. Dale Roberts is in from the uh, CPOA, and Scott Van Kirk is sitting in. He uh, often uh, uh, guest hosts for me when I'm not available. He's former law enforcement, and he is a firearms trainer. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to sway here from uh, where I was in- originally intending to go in this segment because Brian pointed out to me that uh, there is a shirt for sale at Amazon uh, and it really it just frosts my buns here. It, it's a black T-shirt with white print, large white print. It says, Cops Kill Kids. How irresponsible oh, could geez. they possibly be to sell a T-shirt that says that? If I were them, I would say, no, we're not going to carry that. But apparently uh, the anti-police sentiment uh, reaches uh, uh, deep into Amazon. So with that, let me just very quickly go to uh, Dale and ask you, because uh, you, you talk to the guys and gals on the street all the time, uh, law enforcement officers, how's the, how's the morale? Well, I'll say this. I, I know we have a lot of officers who are, have refreshed their resumes. Um, we, you know, we had an event on Wednesday. The folks who own Creekside Pet Center and Lily's Cantina and Stiefel, the investment firm, uh, the three of them, went, and Peggy Jean's Pies, all went together to come down to the station on Wednesday, fed every officer from CPD, uh, extended the invitation to Boone County Sheriff, the Highway Patrol in, in that county, and the officers from the courthouse came over. And it was a really nice event. The officers appreciate, greatly appreciate 
the thanks that they receive, but they more and more are saying, instead of bringing us food, I wish people would write the city council and tell them how they feel. Because we know there's a silent majority out there that supports law enforcement. Um, the officers are just really worried about what's going on and what's going to go on. Um, but they're hanging in there. They're, they're people. What would, the, what would the message be to city council? What do you want them to know? Because I might, I might start pushing for a letter writing uh, thing here. Just tell me what they want, what they want to hear. Uh, for, you know, for starters, I'd just say tell the council what you think. Don't be bashful. And especially if you think um, that law enforcement should be supported and that that's the way you're going to vote, you should say that. Because I guarantee you the anti-law enforcement community is extremely vocal the defund law enforcement people are very vocal and we've got a couple council members who are on the defund wagon so if you support law enforcement if you think law enforcement helps to keep your community safe uh, you need to say so you need to speak up because decisions are being made it's they're not seriously talking about defunding law enforcement in Columbia. No, no, no. No, I, I don't think they're going to cut funding, but they are, you know, they have talked about using some funding to hire mental health professionals. And it's the same as cutting funding. If you take money that could have been used to hire a commissioned officer and use it to hire someone who is not a commissioned officer. Will they have a dedicated person for the city council? <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, oh that good. was good, Garson. Very that was good. really, Garson, really good. I really like that a lot. Do not mess with Garson this morning. <laughs> and you know they've, you know, the new SWAT team is social workers and therapists. Well, you know they'll send these social workers out to these domestic calls, and they're going to end up getting shot left and right. And the next thing you know, they'll be getting armed uh, in order to protect themselves. And you're back where you're at. I, I would just assume you. Spend that money to bring uh, bring in more law enforcement, uh, perhaps better training or more training. Uh, but I would I, I would not divert. Well, I mean, the IRS is armed agents, so why not therapists? <laughs> yeah, what about those guards at Social Security office? Do they carry guns too? Uh, the federal contractors at those federal buildings? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, so does the USDA. Well, you really? find yeah, an errant I, cow. I, 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 worked a, I worked a case with a USDA agent one time who uh, flew into my municipality to track somebody down, who I happened to know because she was the common-law wife of a guy I was doing a federal meth investigation on. Uh, but he was investigating food stamp fraud. Cause remember, food stamps fall under the USDA. So he oh. rolled on in. I, somewhere I have a USDA rate patch. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I could see that being big money. So, anyway, Gary, yeah, if people would just write a letter, an email to their council person, they can go to como.gov and find the email address of their council person. If they don't know who it is, email the mayor. It's just mayor at como.gov. Um, and, the, and the mayor will pass it on appropriately. Um, but... Yeah, they, they, you know, the council, the city government hears plenty from the defund side of the tracks, and they don't hear much from the silent, obviously, majority. The well, most of us sitting around thinking, well, they'll never do that. That's just stupid. And then <laughs> it happens, and it's because we didn't do anything to stop it from happening. The, the other side is active. The, the cynic in me says that um, that's all well and good, but the city of Columbia has elected 
people to their city council who already um, more likely than not share the view of the of the protesters and the defund police things and everything like that. They're not nearly as interested in representing the whole city as they are um, the left uh, side of the go, city going along with their yeah their con- constituents who are the the radicals on this one. So. I mean, it's 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 nice. It's a great effort, and I'm not saying it telling anybody not to do it, but I'm I'm skeptical. Well, and actually, we've we've replaced a few council members. The trend is changing. The mayor is very supportive of the law enforcement community. Well, that, uh, that's that's a good sign. Yeah, uh, we'll kind of kick that around a little bit, and then uh, we'll talk about uh, a, a three judge Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision about uh, printed guns. Uh, and we'll find out what Garson brought on board from Graphs. All coming up about five minutes from now on Gary and Guns Hot Talk ninety three ninety.